Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. <laughs> my name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are both very, very excited to be talking to you about the Coen Brothers holiday anthology film. Is it fair to call it an anthology film? Oh, absolutely. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. People are so easily distracted. So I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them. Because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us. But not us. This will tale to tale. Buster Scruggs. You shoot an ironwork. Appears to do, yes. Do you have anything to say before a sentence is carried out? Sentence? What's my sentence? <laughs> Have a way of escalating out here in the West. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. That man is a wonder. Oh, we'll just have to see you, we? Ah, crazy business. <laughs> First time. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddle? I do. So as you said, this is a Coen Brothers film and it is from 2018. It was made for Netflix. So if you don't have Netflix, I don't know if there's another way to see this or not. Um, and the synopsis, very short synopsis, an anthology of six short films that takes place in 19th century post-Civil War era during the settling of the Old West. And it stars a bunch of people. Lots and lots a lot of, of Coen Brothers regulars. Mainstays, yes. Kind yes. of a family you may have come to recognize if you are a fan of their films. Now, I have seen this many times. Uh, this was a recommendation of mine, so I'm tipping my hand in terms of my feelings about it. And we should, because this is a relatively recent film, we should reiterate for those of you who may not be as familiar with our podcast, we do spoil these films so uh if you're interested in seeing this without our blemishing the surprises such as they are then you might want to not listen to this one until you've seen it because we're going to talk about it um and i guess the only other thing i'll say is it's um yeah there's six short films that comprise this right all in the general it's a western you know, uh, full stop. Um, and you had not seen it. So we're going to start with you today, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. So I had always meant to see this and it was just 
kind of one of these that I hadn't gotten around to. Um, it combines two of my favorite things. I love the Coen brothers. I mean, almost everything the Coen brothers have done. I've, I, I mean, I can't, I've not seen every single uh, Coen brothers. I, I don't think I've ever seen Blood Simple. And I don't think I've ever seen um, uh, to, to, to Miller's Crossing. I don't think I've seen oh either gosh. of those. Wow. Yeah. Miller's um, Crossing may be, may be my favorite. We, that'd be one, a good one to do sometime because it's just yeah. one of those that for whatever reason, it just, you know, always wanted to see it, but I, but I haven't. Oh, I do but the, this one too. <laughs> and, and I would say, you know, they're just like everybody, there are uh, works of theirs that I like more than others, but I, I can't say there's any, even the ones that I like something like the lady killers, I would view as kind of lesser Coen brothers, but it's still good. You know, I wouldn't say, oh, I, there's not any that I would say, oh, I hate or really, really dislike. The other thing is this, I love anthologies. Now, anthologies, for whatever reason, as far as films tend to be horror, I mean, but there are, especially with television, you know, you have things like the Twilight Zone that are, I mean, I would rank up there as among the greatest things ever on television, you know, and like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Tales from the Crypt and all these kind of things. So, uh, and, you know, even to today and things like Black Mirror. Um, so I love anthology. So again, it's kind of combining two things that I really like. So this starts out and uh, typical of an anthology, especially anthology horror, is there's often a, a kind of a, uh, so with Tales from the Crypt, you have the Crypt Keeper who is, you know, sort of, introduces the story and also with anthology films a lot of times you have a wraparound story so this starts with the ballad of buster scruggs which i thought was going to be the wraparound story i i thought what i thought this started out and i thought it would be um he kind of introduces it and there'll be a little story about him and then it'll go into these individual tales and keep coming back to him, but that never, there isn't really a wraparound story in, in this. The closest to a wraparound is we just have, there's somebody paging through a big book and it will have, um, you know, a paragraph or two that's the beginning of the story and then the ending of the story. So that was something that, um, you know, it was a little bit different than my expectations. Um, can Buster we just, Scruggs' story. Can we I've, can we oh, stay on the book for just a moment? Because mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I love about this movie is how visually um, gorgeous it is. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, each one has a slightly different look and feel and tone to it, but it's shot so beautifully. And it's mm -hmm. such a <sighs> idyllic, vision of what the west of that time would look like you know the landscapes are gorgeous and this book looks like something you know you might find on your you know sort of fictional grandfather's shelf it mm -hmm. looks like an early 20th century print or even a you know a 19th century book of of short stories of the time and each chapter as it were has a color plate illustration in it too so 
as we page through the books and, and the hand, this sort of disembodied hand, we never know who it is, is just the agent that is paging us through this book. Maybe it's one of the Cohen brothers. Maybe uh, it's Sam Elliott. Maybe, <laughs> I'd be ashamed to have done. It's just Sam Elliott, but he doesn't speak. <clears throat> I let him bust his screw. Yeah, Sal's Barilla. <laughs> Love his voice. Um, anyway, these color plates. It's it's the it makes the transition so fun because it's there are these gorgeous. You have to kind of see it, but it's like there's a there's a sort of a onion skin over the color plate to protect it you know from the other pages of the book so then they peel that away and then you've got this great illustration with a caption you know pan shot the old man cried or whatever and and then from there they turn and you get the sort of first paragraph and it's like the cowboy wrote and, and it sort of fades into the thing and uh I feel like in at least, I feel like in at least one of them, maybe, maybe the Buster Scruggs one, the the illustration is the shot we fade into. Am I misremembering that? I can't believe I've seen it. Never. Yeah, I, I just watched this last night, so I should remember, but you might be right on that. Yeah. The shot you recognize the 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 shot the the picture that is the illustration is definitely a shot that you recognize. Oh, that's from the that's from mm -hmm. the color plate. Anyway, I think I, I love the framing device of the book because it's it's shot so lovingly, right? Um, and the 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 design of that book. The first time I saw this, I went and Googled. I'm like, is that actually a book? Like, I would like to buy that book. <laughs> you know what I mean? If that's if that'd if, be a nice prop to uh, you know, yeah. Anyway, so back to you. Yeah, so we start out with the ballad of Buster Scruggs, and it is Tim Blake Nelson, who is a again, a, he's appeared in a lot of uh probably I would say most famously, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But he's he's been in other Cone Brothers stuff, I think. And he starts out as, you know, it starts out with him and he is this singing outlaw. And this is comedic Coen Brothers. So it's, it's, it feels very much like uh, Raising Arizona and No Country, not No Country for, for Old Men, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where it's almost kind of, a, almost like a Looney Tunes kind of a thing. And you have one of the things that I love so much about the Coen brothers is I don't know if there's anyone else in the history of film for me who has better dialogue. Now, their dialogue is not, especially in something like this, is not at all the way real humans speak. Right. But it's this very flowery, sing-songy language. And I just, I just love that. I mean, it's just, it's just everybody. It's like they, they have these, uh, you know, they're just these old West people, but their vocabulary is like somebody who just sits and reads the dictionary all the time or something. You know what I mean? Or yonder, there's an old, if I'm, if memory serves correctly, there's an old cantina where I'm hoping to find a group of fellow compatriots, but may, may be amenable to drawing themselves in a circle around a deck of cards. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of like <laughs> everybody, <laughs> Buster Scruggs at least talks like that all the time. Yeah. And it's just, 
delivered so well and he you know he sings and dances and you have this great choreography with these fights and so i i texted you um you know and i said oh i'm like six minutes into this and i already think this is brilliant and i'm thinking this is going to be something you know that i'm going to watch over and over again so first story i loved uh second story is um uh james franco and he is a bank robber or at least in this in this opening he is trying to rob a bank and things go sideways for him and it's another it's a little both of these stories are are funny but still pretty dark uh and uh they don't really hold back on the violence these are you know these are are pretty violent and so when you you asked if your dad would like it because yeah i'm like you know it is funny and i remember the levity they're all kind of tragedies i mean you could Mm -hmm. look at all of these stories you can one of them you could look at as a ghost story and one of them you could look you know but there's a real tragedy in each of them although they don't smash it over the head no uh, you know and i thought huh i don't know i i was like oh i bet your dad would love it i'm like and then now that you watched it without him because that was my first thing i'm like did you are you watching it with your dad I, i'll get to that but i kind of long story short I think my parents would like those first two stories and the rest of it, they would not be into the rest. Yeah. Um, so we get to the third story then. And, and I don't think, you know, we can talk about these as much as, as you want, but um, I mean, I don't necessarily want to recap every, sure. you know, every story. The third one but, is the, is the prospector or the third one. No, is- the third one is with Liam Neeson meal ticket. Um, yeah. And so he is this, it's this traveling show and it's you know he's the guy that drives the uh, the carriage or whatever but he has this guy who's an actor who has no arms and legs um and the, and i don't want to i don't want to give away what happens with this one but this is as dark and as bleak of a story as i have seen in a while and so here's the issue with with every anthology movie that has ever been made is some of the stories are better than others and and this one for me was no exception i love these first the first two stories and then i got to this one and it was kind of like ah that was interesting but i didn't again everything beautifully shot the acting is fantastic Uh, something that i love about westerns in general and it's no exception with this movie is Westerns always have great sound design. You know, the sound of the, the horses hooves and the boots going across the wooden floor and the, and you know, the, the pistols and all that. So you have, you have all of that sound design that I love. Then you get to, so the next story. So that one, I was kind of meh. On. I will, let me just pepper in that. I love Liam Neeson in that mm-hmm. because since taken, you know, he, he's, he's been the tough guy a lot yeah. of times, you know, with a particular set of skills and, and you really get to see him. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue, right? Know, but he's got a, a wonderfully expressive face and this really showcases 
his ability in that regard. I always feel a little, and this is, you know, this is my hang up or whatever, because I'm not into those taken movies. And on the one hand, you know, it's not like we know Liam Neeson personally or, or whatever, but it's always made me a little bit, and I'm sure he's made a ton of money off of those films. Oh, yeah. It's always made me a little sad that it's like, he's Oscar Schindler. And I always felt like he was kind of slumming it with the, the Taken stuff, you know? Uh, but um, more power. It's a job. Yeah, more power to him. Um, so then we get to the next one. And it is uh, a process. And I don't know. I don't remember the names of any of the, the individual stories, what they're called. All of them. But yeah. but it's a prospector play, played by Tom Waits. And everybody likes Tom Waits. He's great. Um, and he's, didn't you think? Didn't what's you think that? Perfect for this role. Because he's really crusty, you know, and um and he is is prospecting for gold this one is really and so your your background i believe is from that and That's, this one is really beautiful um can you see the deer drinking and yeah now that deer was cg which there, there there is a little bit there's some scenes in this where it's like ah you can tell okay that's cg yeah but and they it's need not bad do very specific things you right know, you train deer to it's do fine to to have the cg idea instead of it's not like it looks horrible but my my one criticism that i would have with this one is it's probably 20 or 30 minutes long and i think it could have been eight minutes mm. it, it just kind of dragged a bit for me um then you get the the next story is um this uh story about a wagon train and it's kind of mainly about this woman is this woman and her brother and the brother dies and so it's kind of her relationship with this guy this younger guy who's running the wagon train and this was probably my least favorite of the whole thing i felt like this just meandered and the one thing I would say about all of these stories is um, none of them were predictable. So the uh, this is a, a spoiler, but the the woman's uh, brother dies and she owes money to this young guy who's working for her. And she, they keep coming back to um, that when they get to Oregon or wherever it is that they're going, that she's got to pay this guy 400 bucks. And you find out that the that the money is uh was buried in the pocket of her brother when he died and she has this little dog that actually belonged to the brother and he barks all the time and everybody's annoyed and the guy who runs the wagon train takes the dog to shoot him and instead the dog runs away and i thought oh okay the dog is going to go and dig up the money and bring it back and that doesn't maybe that doesn't happen and i i, I it, it's like i don't know what purpose the dog served at all it's just yeah. they could have completely removed the dog from the story anyway i just felt like this one meandered and rambled and there wasn't it just felt to me like it was being kind of made up as it went along and i i didn't really get the point of it um so this one i could have i would have been fine to I didn't hate it, but it just 
it just didn't do a lot for me. You think of the uh, Indian attack or the Native American attack. That was all done really well. I mean, it was. That was really pulse quickening. Yeah, it was thrilling and it was, but I, well, we'll come back to that. Um, Cause I want, you know, I want you to, to say what you thought and then we'll, we'll come up. We'll, maybe we'll come back to what, maybe some of this, what I thought the meaning was. And then the final story was these people on um, a carriage and they're, it's five people and they're kind of each telling these individual stories. And uh, you find out that there is a body being carried on top of the wagon. And two of these guys are bounty hunters. Um, five people and, in the stagecoach. Yes. Two guys on one side are bounty hunters transporting a body. And the three people sitting on the other side are unrelated in any way. They're just going to Fort Dixon or whatever. It's, I forget the destination, but they're, mm -hmm. they're all going the same place. And this one is almost like a ghost story or yes. something. Yes. And, and we'll talk about what we thought it meant. But so for me, I felt like it, uh, you had two really great opening stories then you had this, the next story that I really liked was the prospector. And then for me, it fizzled with the last two. And I feel like with a really strong anthology, you need to start out strong and finish strong. And I didn't really, for me, it didn't really do that. So I, I there were two stories that I loved, a third story that I liked quite a bit, and then three, um, I guess three that I was that you did meh on. Yeah. yeah. So I, it, it started out for me being like, oh, this is maybe going to be up there among my all time favorite Cohen stuff. And by the end, it, it wasn't. So, and, and again, part of that, it might've been me because I, you know, like I talked about with a wraparound story, it didn't have that, that I was expecting right. that. Right. So I thought we were going to continually come back to Buster Scruggs and it would be like, well, that was a rootin' tootin', you yeah. know, and it's just like, he's just one of the stories, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I don't really know why it was called the ballad of, of Buster Scruggs when, you know, he's like 15 minutes of the movie. Maybe, so anyway. maybe because that story is kind of the crown jewel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was definitely the best for me of the whole film yeah. was that. I've watched the whole thing a number of times, but I have gone back and watched Buster Scruggs alone, like spot watched it many more. I, I was thinking. I love that one. I was thinking this evening, kind of processing it as I was driving home from work, I thought that'll be something that I'll go back to. And maybe even the James Franco one, those first two. I think I could watch multiple times just for how they're choreographed and everything, you know, and just yeah. funny lines in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I got, I get something different out of it every time. And what I, what I got out of it watching it this time that I definitely want to spend some time talking with you about was, <clears throat> you know, what is this about or what is it, not necessarily trying to say like it has um, a hidden meaning that you need to decode, but I do feel like each of the stories is exploring some aspect of life in the Old West during that time, 
some aspect of life that resonated, that was supposed to resonate with our experience of living now, mm-hmm. right? Something, so you, so you say, well, there's a lot in this particular story that is very specific to this time and setting and people, but then there are aspects of this that are supposed to feel quite universal. And the kind of harmonic in between comparing those two, you know, somewhere in there, there's a kind of, um, not a fortune cookies, I don't want to make it sound trite, but a kind of um, a truth about life, you know, and, and then collectively as a whole, then you say, okay, well, there's six of these, you know, so what is it, what, what, what could you say this whole film is sort of trying to do or explore um and i don't know that i thought about that aspect of it as much before as i did during this viewing um the ones that you didn't like i didn't like the liam mason one first because it was so painful mm-hmm. for me. it's sad uh, in, yeah. in subsequent viewings knowing what happens i sort of watch like the first time i saw it i thought that that performer was transportational i just thought oh he's got the voice of an angel and i think that's the story it's telling is that this sort of i mean he's a quadriplegic so i'm not trying deliberately to be offensive by using the term freak but it's a kind of freak show um, as much as it is an oratory show, like if it was just a, a person with both arms and legs reciting, that still would have drawn a crowd. But the novelty of it was that this person uh, was a quadriplegic. Um, you get the feeling that the so they, you know, through the story, they're traveling to different towns <clears throat> and the you know, a crowd will show up. Sometimes it's three or four people. Sometimes it's 25 people. And you get the feeling it, that it, it dwindles, right? It dwindles. It, yeah. Over time. A, a pretty big crowd. And then Liam Neeson goes around and passes a hat at the end of it. And part of the trajectory of the story is that part of it is where they're, how, as they're traveling, but part of it is that winter sort of setting in and Part of it is that this kind of entertainment is just sort of losing its appeal because by the last performance, there's three disinterested parties sitting there as though they've just got nothing better to do. And when he goes to pass the hat, nobody gives him any money. Right. Right. And but early on, it's kind of like the people show up and you get almost the feeling it's like, okay, what do you got? And then they are won over because this guy's performance is so impressive and, you know, they're cheering and everything at the end. So, yeah. 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 You know, and the name of the story is meal ticket, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So, you know, he's got this act that's a gimmick. And I think in the first, the first half of it, you want to assume that these two have a relationship, you know, I mean, they have a relationship that that other than the oratory, the performance, that actor doesn't have any lines. They don't speak to each other, right? Mm -hmm. When he's not performing, he's treated like an object. I mean, Liam Neeson cares for him, feeds him, 
you know, there's one scene where he's sort of helping him urinate. Mm. And at first I wanted to see this sort of like love of a caretaker and award. Like he's doing this, like they're a, they're a family of sorts. And that turns out not to be true, <laughs> you know? And that feels like such a betrayal <laughs> by oh, the yeah. end of it. As you start to realize he's not considering, oh, I think he is considering. And then he does, I, I mean, we said we we're gonna spoil it. So I don't, you know, but when he buys the chicken and that they're riding in that, they're riding, and the performers is in the back of the wagon, Liam Neeson's driving it and the chicken is in a cage hanging there swinging and it's the two of them in the back and he's regarding the chicken, you know? Yeah. He doesn't have any lines. So, but having seen it a couple of times, I'm now looking at it like, is he thinking that this is a new part of the act or if this is my replacement you know yeah ah it really is heartbreaking stuff it is yeah and it's inter it's an interesting juxtaposition i guess you could say after the the first two that are very comedic uh and then this is just very bleak you know there's nothing funny in this one at all and then, and then, so you, you start to say, well, what is this? What are some of the things this is exploring? You know, it's exploring the relationship between the promoter and the talent. It's explain, it's exploring the relationship between the promoter and the audience and the talent and the audience and the audience and the material that draws them right. And the changing times, uh, because the, uh, you know, the, the mathematical chicken is, mm -hmm certainly content wise it's a bigger wow factor but it's a lot shallower mm -hmm. um than because the, the the oratory is near the end of it he reads part of the uh, gettysburg address and i think you know there's some shakespeare in there but it's definitely it made me think a little bit of news of the world where it's like this is art you know that you wouldn't hear the these this great speech uh anywhere else and uh not not least in, in news of the world he's just kind of reading it but in this it's actually a performer delivering these great words and it's um it's magical um so then it gets replaced with a chicken that you call it two numbers and it ding the one that the yeah that it too. and it doesn't ever tell you what the gimmick of that is but no that's the new meal ticket and oh so, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go into like answers. I just think the thing sort of explores those relationships in a way that, you know, in, in, we were talking about social media last episode and, and, and just how the public consumes and what they like to consume and, you know, what sells and what doesn't and how the platform treats the people that are creating the content. I mean, you know, yeah, there's actually a lot going on in the story that I, I think once you, if you if you ever watch it, that the the shock of what happens in the story uh, stops eclipsing some of the other interesting stuff that's going on. But it it, it is dark, very yeah, and bleak.
Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that I had, I think I had sort of similar responses to it the first time I saw it, although I don't know that I was, I don't know that I would have said I was meh about any of them. I liked them all um, enough to watch it again. And I think uh, I like it more and more the more I watch it. It's mm -hmm. interesting, you know, it's interesting. Um, now yeah. the Coens, for me, a lot of their films, you know, I can watch repeatedly. Cause that, like you said, you, you know, kind of you're saying there are things that maybe you didn't catch the first, especially again with the, um, you know, they are, I didn't do it this time, but, and, and I felt like the, uh, so the dialogue that I talked about that I love so much, you have in those first two stories, and then you get to like the Tom Waits one and there's very little dialogue and the Liam Neeson one, other than the guy presenting uh, you know, doing the acting, there's very little dialogue. Um, and even the the one with the wagon train, I felt like there was not a lot of the kind of creative Coen Brothers dialogue. So maybe that's what I didn't like about this as much as there. Now, then you get to the final one and you're back to there's this crusty trapper guy. And again, you know, he's this guy that lives in the woods by himself, but it has this large vocabulary, you know. She uh, called me. And I've, as though I've always, and he just goes on for it's like a 20 minute monologue. I've always thought that was funny that you would take these and, you know, maybe I'm selling the people short at that time, but a lot of these people that would have been not all that educated, but just have these huge vocabularies. And, and that's funny to me. Um, so I guess I missed some of that, you know, in these other stories with the, with the, uh, the wagon train one, while I was watching it and later I was thinking it felt very random, but maybe that was on purpose. Um, you know, I, these historical eras, I think a lot of people, a lot of times people will watch movies about the old West or the middle ages or whatever, and think, oh, it would, it would be so great to have lived during that time. You know, it was simpler and there were no cell phones and everything. And I've always thought, I have no interest in that. It would have been terrible to live during those times. No electricity, no running water, no air conditioning, no refrigeration. You know, you had to have nine kids because four of them were going to be dead by no, the time they were no three. Painkillers. Yeah. No antibiotics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But no painkillers and no surgery. Like the brother, when he dies, falls ill and is dead in the morning. Like right. is coughing late one night. And she even said he seemed fine yesterday. They wake up and he's lying in the in his bed dead. And you had to have multiple kids, you know, to because some of them were going to die, probably, you know, and but you had to have kids to tend to the farm and everything. And if you got a broken leg, you could die and your life expectancy is 32. <laughs> so I have no, you know, you have the fantasy Western that we've been presented, you know, forever that is romanticized. But I Again, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I, I felt almost like the wagon train story was just like it was all random. 
you know, you could have stepped in a hole and broke your leg and, you know, or you get gut shot or whatever. And you, yeah. uh, so I, I, again, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it or not, but they may have been saying, Hey, this wasn't that great time to live that, that people think it was. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that with the, the randomness of it was definitely a part. I, it's one of my favorites, except that I don't like how sad the ending is. Um, mm -hmm. It's one of my favorites because it really sort of gets into what it, you know, Buster Scruggs is fun, mm -hmm. but the, the, you don't feel like, you know, I like Buster Scruggs, Scruggs, Buster Scrubs, <laughs> Buster Scruggs for a lot of the same reasons I like the movie Tombstone. Like it's mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. And there's a lot of one-liners and a lot of bravado and a lot of gunplay. And... <laughs> but this one actually felt like it was the most straight take on what life might have been like in very real ways. And they're on yeah. a wagon train and, you know, and, and, and I think they put a lot of information in there in ways that don't feel, um, you know, hit you over the head expository. Like, Oh, we don't need to worry about, you know, Indians too much as long as we're, they don't, they won't bother with, you know, attacking a whole train. Yeah. Which is a setup for something that happens later in the, in the story. Right. Um, but, but nobody's being in the wagon train is more, more tedious than anything else. It's not a terrifying thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then the brother who is a, <laughs> who's in charge of everything, the finances, the money, because he's the man, is an utter incompetent and an ass. And he's got this annoying little dog. And, you know, he's kind of dragging his sister along. And then when he dies, it just becomes clear that there was really no plan. Like she is just alive with nothing. She doesn't even have a man to sign things for her, right? I mean, yeah. she's not literally his property legally, but for all intents and purposes, it's like, what is she going to do? Like, she's just on this train, you know, and he goes, are you going to, are you going to press on miss? Or you, after the brother dies, you're going to keep going or you want to turn back? And she's like, go she back to, to what? what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, got nothing. And so it's a love story that sort of blooms. There's two guys running the running the wagon train. One rides in front and one rides in back and they, they take turns and that's, that's their job. It's an older guy um, and a, a, a great role for that guy too. Mm -hmm. um, and the younger guy starts to sort of think, um, you know, if I'm ever going to settle down, it needs to happen soon. He starts to take a shine to her, but it's a love story that blooms in a very genuine way under circumstances that feel very alien to us today. She has no one. And, and part of it is this sort of, I mean, he seems like a genuinely nice guy, mm -hmm. good guy. Uh, but part of it is just opportunity. Like you talk about random. It's like, I don't know that he saw her and thought it's love at first sight. It's not Romeo and Juliet, but now that she's all alone, you know, you're sort of like, well, here's a woman who has no prospects. In fact, she's in debt. She's sort of in distress. And I've been thinking about getting out of this game anyway. And they have a couple of conversations before he's proposing to her. And it really makes you think about the word proposing because it's like he's 
you know, I propose that we get some lunch and then maybe we go to the movie at three o'clock. And then if we're feeling hungry again, we can do dinner, but otherwise we could call it a night. I mean, it's just a, you know, you, you it doesn't feel romantic at all. And I take on your debt. Yeah. You know, we could get married and it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no ring. There's no dropping to the knee. There's no mm -hmm. ceremony. Um, but, and she's shocked by this proposal. She is, I mean, I think she's naive to the ways of the world because she's led a relatively sheltered life and all that seems very plausible. But she says, I'll think about it, you know, and she sleeps on it. And the next day, well, I guess they have a conversation. They have a conversation where they talk about religion and they sort of realize that He's a Methodist and she's an Episcopalian or something like that. But they both have faith and, mm -hmm. you know, and they and they both seem to sort of they talk they're talking in general terms about, you know, life and the way the world is. And they seem in agreement on it. And I think one of the most touching lines in there, he says. She she says, I think I, I'll take you up on your offer, you know, and he's happy and he says, perhaps we can find comfort together. Yeah. You know, and, and she, that is clearly a comforting thing for her, like just to not be alone. And he does seem like a nice, well-intentioned man. And they're talking about getting married and raising a family <laughs> together, you know, just on the basis of this, like, well, you know, your horse could step in a gopher hole or Indian raid or catch a cough one night and you're dead the next day. It's like, you know, you got to <laughs> look for the opportunities and you got to- so foreign to the kind of disney fairy tale you know type of marriage that we were presented in every story that we see where it's like oh you know you're the most beautiful woman i've ever seen and you're the most handsome movie or uh, man i've ever seen I and love we love each time. other and it's it's just like oh this would be a good partnership, you know, and maybe this is the best deal where either of us is going to ever get, you know, to overcome adversity, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's always this, like, it never just works out. It's always, you have to go through all the hardships to oh, oh, surmount whatever. And I mean, we see it again so much. I think that storytellers would say, well, that's what people want to see. And I'm not saying that's a baloney argument, but mm -hmm. the other side of it is I begin to feel like we're being programmed to think that's what life is. Oh, I, I think, you know, not to get on a, a, a total tangent, but I think that, you know, and I think we all fall prey to this to one degree or another, that I think you know, divorce is so high in our society because people think it's always going to be sunshine and rainbows and the fairy tale. And, you know, when you're in a long-term relationship with somebody or you're married, there's going to be times where it's just like, you know, somebody takes the trash out and somebody washes the dishes and it's not going to be romance all the time. And I, and I think people get to, it's like, oh, this isn't like when we were first dating, like there's some, you know, uh, mundaneness, if that's a word. And then people are like tedium. Yep. Yeah. Tedium. And it's like, Oh, this isn't like excitement and butterflies every day. So I don't want to do this anymore. You know um, I think, I think we're all uh, victim to that of, 
to one degree or another, you know. Well, I think I th I think in media is probably most directly responsible as a there's many things in our society, but media is more most constantly reinforcing it is this belief that we individ we as individuals deserve deserve have a right to be our best selves and mindlessly happy all the time right mm -hmm. living our dream in you know if you ask me person i'll keep it first person if you ask me i don't know what my dream is like i don't know if you said okay I, I, what would living your dream look like i'd be like you know, I'm almost 50 and I, I'm still not sure I could paint that picture. I mean, glibly, it'd be like, okay, I'm a millionaire. I don't know work. Live on an island and yeah, you know, you don't ever happy. work. And yeah. Under those circumstances, I was certainly, I wouldn't worry about, you know, making the mortgage anymore if I was rich, but I think mm. that would probably bring its own headaches and stresses and problems. I'm sure it would. Sure. You know, I mean, so, oh, so yeah. what does that look like? I, I'm always envious of these shows. And of course, this is another thing that is reiterated is the Cinderella story, right? You pluck, pluck some, um, it, I remember the first season of American Idol when uh, uh, Kelly Clarkson was on there and they they just kept painting it as she sung in her, in her church choir and she was just looked like the, you know, corn fed girl next door you know, and is the Cinderella story where she's the first American idol and is a pop deal. And now she's a big pop diva. Kelly Clarkson worked her ass off. Like mm -hmm. she just wasn't some yokel with a nice voice singing in the church choir. She was trying to be a singer. I mean, she had enormous talent because she gets on the show, right? All, all the people that get on that show are very talented, but they paint it like She's just this could have been anyone of the thousands of people that auditioned. It could have been anyone like it's some kind of a lottery. No, she's she was better <laughs> than mm -hmm. everybody else. And and it didn't just happen. She wasn't just born. It wasn't like the fairy godmother just dinged her on the head. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. So I think that we're all kind of conditioned to think, well, Kelly Clarkson can do it and gets it. Then I I can do it and I should, you know. Yeah. That's just not life, guys. That's just not life. And that that's not to say we don't all deserve to live with dignity and respect. And I, I, I think that we all have a fundamental right to feel safe and hopefully happy. I really believe that. I don't think the world, even now, you could, with a straight face, say that that is true. Oh, yeah. But... You know, I think that this this is a picture of a world where there was no guarantee of anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you did, you know what I mean? Like we literally see, and he's a character we don't like, so we're sort of glad when he dies in his sleep. You're like, oh, good, I don't have to listen to that guy anymore. But this was her brother. Yeah. The implicit message is it could have been like, did I catch whatever he had? Am I going to be dead tomorrow morning? Uh, and the, walking with you, and the younger guy who wants to marry her. He is, he sees the older guy that's his partner, who I guess has never been married. And this is just, and, and he's just like, I don't want this to become my life. And it's kind of like, he can see, I don't know how old he is, but he looks like he's maybe like 35 or 40 yeah. or something. And I think he can see like, now this might be my last chance to not be stuck 
like this guy where I never have a family or a home or, you know, I just do this the older until guy, I can't do it anymore. The older guy's probably 47 and looks 60. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, uh, that's a great character. That's the other thing I love about that story, though, is it's this portrait without being uh, fun and cartoony the way Buster Scruggs is. It's this portrait of the Western badass, you know, so he goes and he finds her. She's heard the dog barking and she's gone to get the dog over the hill away from the wagon train. And the dog is is barking. There's a prairie dog colony and the, they're popping up like little whack-a-moles and the dog is barking at them. And she's standing there holding the dog, laughing at them because they're cute and they're funny. And she's never mm -hmm. seen such a thing before. And the old guy goes to find her. He's like, where'd, where'd the young woman go? And, and the sullen driver's like, oh, you know, she went over that way. I don't know, heard the dog or something. So he goes off looking for her and finds her. And he's like, miss, we, ha we have got to get, we got to get back. We got to get, you know, wagon trade safe, but we shouldn't be out here. And then he sees a Native American, a silhouette up on the hill and he gives him the peace sign and the guy doesn't return it. And he explains this to her, but he comes back and he's like, we're in for a fight and he accepts it. So it's like, right. you are in a life or death situation now. You came out here knowing this could happen, hoping it wasn't, oh, it's happening. And he's just, there's no like, oh, why? There's no, he's just accepts it. He's like, well, you know, we're either gonna, you know, they're either gonna, we'll get lucky, it will kill the chief and then they'll, they'll break if we do that. Or we what I thought was that. really, yeah <laughs> it's just like whoa 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 go back to the what's happening <laughs> and what i thought was really neat with that guy's character is the younger guy throughout the story is much more talkative yes. and the and there are times where he's he was like well you know i think i'm gonna you know there's different times where he talks to him and he's like well i think you know i think i'm gonna ask miss whatever her name is to marry me and he just kind of grunts uh, and you know they're kind of a married couple too they're like work wives i mean yeah yeah an old married couple too because they've been doing this for so long and he just kind of adjusts the saddlebags and you know he doesn't say more than three or four words throughout the and then when it's time for him to spring into action he's point by point explaining everything to her how and he's very talkative then and i thought that was i thought that was neat you and know how not, they changed yeah, not his talkative, character uh not not like full of chitter chatter no just nattering but like there's a lot she needs to know this is going to happen and then that's going to happen and yeah. then it's going to either go this way or that way and if it goes this way we're fine and if it goes and it's that like way, this is his purpose you got to remember you know? these three things you know yeah so he's just like focus you know I, we don't have a lot of time we gotta get i have to bring you up to speed on what is yeah. happening right now and, and i loved how he developed that way you know they just presented this character in a completely different way i thought they did an interesting thing here too that it made me it reminded me a bit of um no country for old men yeah where no country for old men kind of subverts and we we talked about this i think maybe last week or some other episode where it kind of subverts traditional storytelling and i think you know people who are used to just abc this is how a, a story is told probably didn't like it and it kind of threw them because okay spoiler alert if you haven't seen um no country no country for old men the main character is killed off screen you know three-fourths of the way through the film and we just never see him again 
And it's just like the story is no longer about him. Right. And I felt like it was somewhat similar in this that we're kind of set up to this story is going to be about the two of them are going to get married. And again, spoiler alert with this she So the guy, you know, he gives her a gun and he's like, if things go sideways with this, you know, either I'm going to have to shoot you right. and then shoot myself. Two bullets, you're gonna... gun, right? Yeah. One, and if, and if, if things, if, if we're not going to make it, I'll kill you and then I'll kill myself. Or we, or it can be vice versa. And I'm, you're going to have to shoot me yeah. and then shoot yourself. And what you want to do is put it right in your forehead. You and know? he explains to her why. He's yeah. like, oh, if, because if they catch you, you know, you're a woman. Happen, and then that's going to happen. And then a whole bunch of other things. And we can't have that. Yeah. You no, know, and she's terrified as she should be. So but it's like puts the fear worse than death. Yeah. Trust me. Trust me on this. If if we lose, you're going to want to end it. Um, and, and, and it looks like, of course, we've already spoiled it. But so there's so a she clip. winds up, you know, she thinks he's it looks like he's lost and he pulls a fast one and he hasn't. But and then he comes back over the ridge and she has shot herself in the head. And it's it's absolutely heartbreaking. And we do not see actually the the text when we go back to the book. Uh, I think it says something like, you know, he goes back to the younger guy and doesn't know what to say or, or something like that. But we don't, you know, I, I think maybe a I don't want to say traditional, but a more traditional story that we would see is the ending would probably be the old man goes and tells the young guy and he cries or whatever, but we don't see that. We just see, you know, nope. she, she's dead. The dog goes over and sniffs her, goes over and sniffs one of the dead Indians, which the guy shoots again to make sure that he's dead. And he and the dog walk away back towards the wagon train. And that's the end of it. Yeah. So I, that, that just felt well, to me a lot like over the rise to the wagon train. And the other guy is down there coming to meet them like right. from a distance. And that's where it ends is him looking down, realizing he's now going to tell this younger guy that his fiance, what happened has killed herself. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And that's the color plate on the book. But you don't right. have any context for it. Um, yeah. I think I think you you really touched on it. They love to subvert expectations in storytelling. They love that. That's the thing that the, the Coen brothers love to play with. And they love playing with death and the personification mm -hmm. of death and the ways in which we either see death, right? The man with no eyes, the the mirrored sunglasses, the flames in them in Oh Brother, or uh, Anton Sugar mm -hmm. <laughs> in No Country, uh, or, or the, the, you know, the sense that, you know, you, you just missed death, like death was just here and you show up and there's the aftermath, like in the hotel room where the cops are all just sort of arriving and cordoning off the scene. And you're like, what the, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you, 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 there's this sense of helplessness in the face of it that you know we're making plans and we're sure things are going to go this this certain way and then death you know out of the blue out of left field mm -hmm. and i i i think that i see them love to explore that randomness and that sense of um you never prepared it comes when you sort of least expect it yeah 
you know, it can be that that shadow looming that you you dread, you see it approach, but it also can be this the drop dead of a heart attack or whatever. Yes, exactly. And and mm-hmm. bad time. So all of that is in these stories. Um, I really like the ghost story one. So, so let like, me ask you, what did you so exactly what was going on in it? Yeah. So again, with all of these, it. I mean, the, definitely the thing that I would say is I didn't feel that any of them were predictable. So the, the um, uh, you know, like I said, in the, in the, the wagon train one, I thought the dog was going to go and dig up the guy's money and bring it, and he didn't. Right. Uh, I thought this one with the, with the people in the carriage, I thought it was going to turn out to be that they were all dead. And that they were being taken. There's a there's a part where they um, one of them says something about you know will the the rider stop or, or the you know the driver of the carriage will he stop and and they say no he won't stop and there's a part where one of them looks out and you show the, they show the guy and I thought is he going to be death or something you know so I thought it was going to be they're all dead and they find out they're being being taken to hell or whatever. I don't really know what it was, but at the end they get to this, and this one is the closest to horror that we actually see. So you, they get to this spooky house, and you know they're the spooky hotel. trees and back. Yeah, the hotel nation, right? And so the nation, uh, the two bounty hunter guys take the body off of the top and carry it inside, and then the other three are scared to go in. And they finally get the, you know, they're, they're all kind of cowardly and they finally get the courage to get out of the carriage and go up to the door. And then they fight over who's going to, you know, be the first to go in. And finally the, the trapper guy is the one who opens the door and they go in and they step foot inside and then the doors close and that's the end of the movie. Right. So what did you, what was your interpretation of that? Yeah, I think, I think this was a journey to the afterlife. Okay. Three people who did not know they were. Okay. Um, And the two, the two guys on the other side were kind of the, 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 the coach drivers kind of Charon, the, the ferryman, right. Mm -hmm. That takes people back and forth. And the bounty hunters um, are really just sort of, shepherding angels or agents that yeah that because there's a very creepy and great thing where he's like i like to i like to look in their eyes as they as they you know come to terms with it and figuring it out and he's staring into their eyes um so i i that was kind of how i took it but i thought maybe that's too obvious and again the cohen's are subverting our expectations and this is not what this is but that's kind of how i took it well they don't Um, feed you any any answer to it but the the hotel is it's purgatory or something it is sepulchral absolutely and there's not another person in there and it's Mm -hmm. the huge well-kept but otherwise utterly dark with a red carpet that goes from the door all the way to the stairs leading up to the second story at the back it's a big red ascending staircase where bright white light is sort of flooding down from the staircase and the two guys are carrying the body they brought up into the light right and Mm -hmm. it left to the other three to sort of make their way upstairs there's nothing that's forcing them 
Mm. There's nothing that says they couldn't sit down. And there's not spooky stuff going on outside. It's just as silent. Other than just it's dark and there's scary trees. And they silent as a tomb. They turn back and the carriage rides off, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the sound of the carriage is uh, loud and it's fast and it goes hurtling back off the way it came into the darkness. And it's, it's definitely creepy and unsettling. But there aren't ghouls and goblins and hooting owls and creaking whatever. It's just silent. Mm-hmm. And the hotel waits. You know what I mean? And they go in and it's not like the doors that are a mouth that swallows them up. It's just there's. It's either we go ahead in, or I guess we stay out here. You know, and, the, and out here there is nothing out here, and they can't go back. There's no there's no going way back for them to travel back. Like, take your time, but the really the only thing to do is go in. Yeah, you know, and so eventually they each of them kind of comes to terms with it and goes on in. The, the French character finally, you know, sort of puts his top hat on. He has this sort of big frizz of hair and he puts his top hat on. <laughs> and it. that guy, I believe, I don't know. I mean, I could look to see what that actor's name is, but I think he was in Unforgiven. I mean, yeah. that was a long time ago and he was younger and thinner, but um, yeah. I think he Duck, was the yeah. like, yeah. Duck guy says. That's a great. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the writer. He's the journalist. The writer, yeah. That follows him around. Yeah. Um, um. So yeah, it's so, you know. After, like I said, it was almost kind of like the. Uh, what's the expression about the sum isn't the parts aren't as great as the sum or whatever. I know I'm butchering that, that, uh, that expression, but. I'm as greater than the parts. Yeah. I, you know, and maybe, and like talking about it, I mean, there, there was with all the stories, there were things about it that I enjoyed. There wasn't like any of it that I was like, Oh, I hated that. I thought that was terrible. Right. Um, and kind of with all that said, I would, I just love anthologies. So if they would do one of these a year, I would be ecstatic. You know, I don't know how well this did. I mean, I guess it got some award. It it had some Academy Award consideration. Um, And, you know, that in the few years since then, that's only grown more that something made for Netflix or Prime or whatever can even it you can be considered yeah movie or something by the academy but the the quality of some of the stuff that this not it's not all great but they certainly these streaming services have made good films oh sure absolutely and i feel like the on the one hand i'm not going to sit down every day and watch a western I feel like it's one of those genres where the really great films and shows are really great. You know, things like Unforgiven, you know, I mean, it's just a classic. But I feel that the Western is a genre that you can tell any story in. And they've done this here with this movie where there's comedy, there's romance to a degree, 
there's horror kind of, or, you know, a ghost story almost. And I think that's really cool about Westerns that you could, you can do literally almost anything with them, yes. you know? Yes. Yeah. There's something I think baked into the American psyche, you know, and it wasn't all that long ago, you know, 200 years ago, 250 years ago. Um, we were stealing this country from the natives. No, but I mean, literally not to be glib about the bloodshed and uh, genocide, of course. Uh, I just mean that I think there is a romantic notion that um, we as Americans frequently incorporate into our sense of self that, you know, we came to this untamed land and we, you know, tamed it and we carved out a here we built a nation and it's you know it's a romanticized um often untrue blood-soaked uh cruel villainous history oh yeah but i think that it is a, it is a romantic um vision of our past that we we love because it highlights self-reliance and true grit you know and yeah. th- that we like to think about ourselves as americans and our ancestors my grandfather you know and ten dollars in a wagon and he you know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> railroad empire <laughs> you know, i don't know i don't know what i'm saying well and you know they they start out with the even though it's silly and cartoonish they start out with a very romanticized western kind of ideal with the shootout at high noon almost and everything. And that's done so well. And then you have this final story where you don't even see a gun at any point, I don't think, you know, so you have very different than the traditional Western story. But the one thing Um, that all the characters have in common is death. Yeah. Right. Like we all, we're all going to take that stagecoach ride. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the other thing that I think is so that I love so much about Westerns is, and, and this part of the reason why I chose this backdrop for myself is this, this idea of an idyllic America before we despoiled it, right? That mm-hmm. the, the prospector one in particular is a, a man comes to this utterly undiscovered valley to pan for gold. And it's not like he ruins it or destroys it. But he does dig a bunch of holes in it. And, you know, there's a wildlife there. He climbs a tree and takes eggs out of an owl's nest. And there's the deer, the CGI deer that, you know, he disrupts the the Eden that he stumbles into for the gold. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, there's a, you know, mano a mano. It turns out somebody has followed him and is willing to kill him to take the gold on his labor. But you know, to, to reference another movie, there's a little of there will be blood in it. It's like, what, what are we willing to do for the resources we think are, you know, it's like nobody else, you know, this is prime for the looting and nobody else knows it's here. There's a vast ocean of oil and only we can get to it. I'm like, well, with total disregard to any consequences of any kind or, or disruption that you're causing. Mm-hmm. Um, not that, that he's paint, not that the prospector is painted in that way, but that, that I think is part of the point is that that doesn't even cross his mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't, mm-hmm. 
But I think that we, I, one of the reasons I love Westerns is this, we tell oh, it's a simpler time when everything was beautiful. Um, it, it was simpler because we hadn't complicated it up yet. <laughs> it wasn't spoiled. So, yeah. But it was also nature and, and brutal. And, you know, nature is a churn of life, you know, it's just, you're always seeing the different layers of the food pyramid, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just I think I the westerns tend to have beautiful scenery, and, and it's interesting we we're so used to these beautiful scenes in so many westerns, and other than California, and it was in the city. I've not spent any time in the West. Like I've never been to Montana or Wyoming or you know. Alaska is another place that I have been that is almost uh, almost like in the literal sense of the term incredible. Like you wouldn't, you couldn't credit it if I right. describe how beautiful you get there and you're just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like eagles, bald eagles, like bright everywhere. And you're just like, this is insane. It's insanely beautiful. And you get a sense of like, oh, wow, did the whole country look like this before we paved it? Mm -hmm. um, you should you should take a trip to the I think the American Northwest and Southwest are both beautiful and in, in, in their different ways. And there's a yeah. lot of national parks out there that preserve it. And it's like Joshua trees. Crazy. Cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I've been to Texas a couple of times too, but it was Austin and Houston, and I was in the city the whole time. You know, so yeah. I didn't see any. It yeah. just in looks the like Redwood, city. Northern California are are amazing. Mm -hmm. it's like being in, um, it's like being in some of these science fiction movies. It's like being in Jurassic Park. You're like, Ooh, these trees are insane. Mm -hmm. Anywho, yes. Um, so, would you recommend this film? Yeah, like I say, it. You know, I don't know if this was one of these where it was just my, it didn't quite meet what my expectations were, but it, you know, it wouldn't quite be up there among my favorite things that the Coens have ever done. But even what I view as lesser Cohen is still really great. And uh, I mean, it's inter interesting now, I, I guess they're kind of, broken up in a way because the i've not seen the um was it macbeth that they did uh um, yeah i haven't well one of them. i've yeah so it's just one of them and then there's a the next movie i don't know which brother but one is doing another solo thing so i don't know if they're going to if they're just not going to work together anymore or not you know but but uh um you know they're filmmakers that are always going to do something unique I feel like um and so yeah I would you know I would recommend it I just wasn't I just wasn't as wowed by it as what I maybe I kind of thought I was going to be yeah, so it was, I was a little bit let down I wonder if I built it, it up um no I don't I don't think it was you I mean I think I just you know, it's been around for four years or whatever. And I love the Coen brothers. And I thought, oh, this is, I'm going to feel about this the same way as I did, um, you know, No Country for Old Men or, you know, the funny ones too. You know, and that's the thing, even like Raising Arizona. Yeah, Raising Arizona. And uh, even like, uh, you know, I think um, 
burn after reading is kind of viewed as like lesser Coen brothers and it's still great, you know? Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm like sure. hail Caesar. I mean, I hail Caesar was really good. It's not one of my favorites and it's not all, it's a little uneven in for me, but the, my favorite stuff in hail Caesar is delicious. It's so great. You know, there are some scenes in that, that I just love. It's just candy in my eyes. And they obviously love Clooney and Clooney is one of, you know, kind of like Tim Blake Nelson in the beginning of this is almost made to deliver their dialogue. I, I think Clooney is one of those guys too, where it's just like, he's just so perfectly suited and John Goodman, you know, and it, it just so perfectly suited to, uh, yeah, to See, what they perfect. do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would recommend it. Uh, I, I, I mean, I would too. I, I, I think I liked it. You know, I kind of, the metaphor I kind of have is like a box of chocolates. Um, my wife loves chocolates. And so I get her chocolates from time to time. And I tend to get her the stuff I know she likes, but every now and then I'll get like, um, um, an assortment. Mm -hmm. and it's it's really interesting because she doesn't particularly like surprises you know she wants she loves chocolate and she wants the chocolate that she loves but what if one of these unknown chocolates is one of her new favorites so it's like she sort of wades her way through you know trying the different ones and it's there's a trepidation mixed in with the, you know, with the pure delight and anticipation. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like with this one, I don't disagree with anything that you said and your, your take on it. And I don't really remember all of my feelings, the first viewing of it. Um, but I think I liked it enough on the first viewing that I've gone back and watched it again and again. I just, you know, it's like you open up a box and there's six chocolates in it and you like all six chocolates. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just a flavor thing. I was like, oh, I really, even that one with the bitter center, like I, I like that one too, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, is I, I think if you've listened to this and, and you, you're into the Coen brothers and, you know, and none of this seems off putting to you, you should check it out. I mean, you can always turn it off. It's on Netflix. Yeah, so I don't know if I, I don't know if I said this or not, but, you know, we talked about my original plan because my, my dad in particular loves Westerns, you know, I think it's just a generational thing, um, you know, because he grew up watching, uh, you know, Westerns as a kid. And so when there's a good Western, you know, I'll watch it with with him and my mom is not a big movie fan. Um, but she sometimes enjoys Westerns, but um, they saw True Grit in the theater and loved it. And, you know, that's very, I feel like very mainstream Coen, Coen brothers. So they, they loved that and they loved um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? They loved both of those. They liked the funny, they liked the kind of more serious True Grit. And so I tried uh, No Country for Old Men with them. And they got to the end and they were just like, well, that was strange. Yeah. And I feel like that's how they would feel about this outside of like the first couple. I think we'd you'd get to the end and they'd be like, that was weird, you know? And so it is, it, it is, it, it is weird. It is weird. 
and there's funny like there's not a lot of funny in no country for old men no <laughs> not a lot of funny uh and these are real Although there's there's uh tragedy in the end of no country for old men where the anton chigurh or whatever gets hit by the car yeah and the there's those kids on the bike and uh he's like walking down the street bleeding and one of the one of the kids says like man mister you're really fucked up or something like that yeah it's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah it's like kind of a laugh out loud line you know? yeah yeah i don't know i mean i just love their stuff um, oh yeah you know, I think if you don't like the Coen brothers, then you're not going to like this either. It yeah, I, I could definitely see people watching this and just being like, oh, I didn't. But in general, the Coen brothers kind of combine all the things that I enjoy. You know, the great uh, dialogue, great cinematography. There, there was one little thing within just the first couple of minutes of the the Buster Scruggs story where he's he's riding along on his horse and he's playing his guitar and there's one part for just a couple of seconds where the camera is inside the guitar yes and the shot is and i just thought what a neat and the little shot because yeah. we are now in the you know and you hear the yeah cuz you're hearing from inside the guitar it's, i love it and it's i was like, just thinking like i've never like, seen that before I you know oh i know yeah it's crazy yeah and so. right off the bat, what it's showing us, what it's telling us is like, okay, this is cartoon logic. Like we can be anywhere. We can be, yeah. you know, a bullet can go straight through a man's hat and it can pull his hat off his head and it can go boom. <laughs> you know, and it can look and see a hole on the inside of the hat. It's Daffy Duck. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be inside the guitar. You can be, you can be the horse. So but I think I, what I'm going to do is I think I'm just I'm going to show the first two segments to my parents and just be like, I don't feel like you really need to watch the rest. If you want to by yourself, you know, you can, but I don't really want to sit here and watch it with you. But so because I think they would get a kick out of the first two, but they're adults. I mean, yeah. they could be like, oh, I like that. I want to see what the other ones are like. I think, OK, yeah, it's not going to scar them or anything, but oh. um, so just move right. All right. Well, next episode is our big 100, baby. Um, we got to figure out the tech, the technical aspects of how we're going to do that, um, which I think we will do off air. And we haven't 100% decided what we're going to do. And by the time you hear this, it will be too late. But <laughs> I was thinking we can narrow it down to a couple yeah that i might put it up on our instagram and let people vote oh sure but are we then committing to do what they vote for because i don't really like we'll see i, I like our godlike status I mean, I, yeah i i'm just I vote for it and i'm like oh that sounds good that i would love to do it and if yeah, I'm, I'm curious that i don't want to do it <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of curious as to what people will say okay so, should we reveal at all what we're thinking about or just let it be a surprise um i mean i think at this point we should let it be a surprise okay as i don't know what value there is in you know we could we might change our mind completely we might say we're thinking about this and we do and i don't, and I don't know you know so i listen to a lot of other movie podcasts and this is in no way an original idea of ours to do it because we're going to do a drunk cast and several other shows that i that I listen to will do 
you know, maybe like once a year, they'll do a drug test or whatever. And inevitably, the hosts always feel bad because there's there's a couple that I've listened to where like one or, and, and these are shows that have like three or four hosts instead of just two like us. But inevitably, somebody gets too drunk <laughs> and then they're apologetic because they're like, oh, you know, we're going to lose half of our listenership or whatever. And I always I it's kind of like uh, you can be the guy that gets too drunk because. OK, OK, I can't recover from it anymore. <laughs> well, I can't either. I mean, and I'm not I'm not a big drinker to 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 begin with. But just for me as a listener, it's kind of like. Like my favorite Saturday Night Live skits are when they break character, they laugh. <laughs> so, you know, so like I say, some of these shows will be like, oh, you know, the next episode, they'll be like, oh, we really apologize. If you're still listening, you know, uh, we just acted like idiots or whatever. And th I, those are my favorite ones. I think it's hilarious right. when people do well, that. Well, I'm so. down. You don't have to twist my arm to drink. Yeah. But uh, I get a little wary when the intention is to get drunk because... Uh, Really on the flip side there have been episodes where uh i mean i don't know about you but there have been episodes where i had a lot to drink and and was just and we're recording the episode and i'm thinking i'm gonna sound like a complete idiot and then we listen to it and it's just you can't tell that i was drunk at all so. no nope, i'm drunk all the time <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, just sound like an idiot on every episode, but so kidding. I don't know if I hide it well or or not, but there's been a couple where I've been like, "Oh, that's probably going to be really funny," you know. I and it just it doesn't seem apparent that I was you drunk at all. Maintain so. really well. You hold your alcohol very well. Um, Internally, I never. I always feel like everybody knows that I'm drunk. You know. Uh, we need to, not only do we need to figure out what we're going to do, but we need to figure out exactly how we're going to be watching it simultaneously um, to, we do want to do one that neither of us have seen and we're, we're doing the episode while we're watching it. Um, and so I think there are some logistics that we need to hammer out before we uh, right. jump into that, but we, we can do that offline. We are Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. Of course, we're on YouTube. We're on podcast it's all the same stuff except on youtube you get to watch us talking about it and if you're on a podcast you're just listening to us talk about it um but we're on the socials uh hit us up like us subscribe send us a suggestion positive feedback is always delightful um and, and hopefully if you listen first and then you watch the youtube later it's not the thing of Wow, those guys are so much weirder looking than I expected. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, okay, so we, we need to sign off of here and then we can talk about the technical stuff. Anything else you want to do to close out the episode? No, just, uh, yeah, next one is 100, so... 100 episodes what a that's pretty cool huh it is yeah it's it's great i i didn't dare to hope that we'd still be going and i'm loving it i'd still me fun. too oh yeah for sure so uh that's awesome and on that note uh we will sign off and so goodbye from chris and chris and we will talk to you next week <laughs>